You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. Today my guest is Mr. Tiroth Kamdar, and he is the General Manager of Luxury at eBay. Tiroth, welcome. Oh, thank you, Ariel. Great to be on your show. We have known each other for quite a number of years now, and one of the memories that comes to mind uh, of our relationship was at Basel World, the show that died and has been resurrected, and this was in Switzerland, and I remember our mutual teams having dinner and this is when you were back at True Facet, uh, the company that you were you you were at prior to eBay, and you were just smiling the entire time. You were so happy to be in the midst of the watch world. You loved the products, you loved the culture, you loved all that. What what were you feeling at the time? What was behind that smile? Yeah, and it was great. I mean, one of the big reasons uh, Rihanna smile was I felt that Basel world and what was going on in the industry is. They were finally opening their eyes up to having conversations around digital and what digital means to them. As you know, Ariel, we've spoken about this countless number of times over the last several years that we've known each other. It's that the watch world has really not never really jumped into digital, especially the way their secondhand markets are are are, are out there and uh, watches are coming online. So it was great to see that we had several. Uh, meetings with really well-known groups and brands, both at the show and off off site from the show, discussing digital, what it could mean for them, and what partnerships and strategies could look like for them. So uh, that was exciting, um, and then and it showed that we were it was paying off and exactly what we we're doing at that time at True Facet. So let's let's go back a little bit and talk about some of the nitty gritty because you and I have always been allies in the sense that we recognize that. Uh, the current state of the world as well as the future for the watch industry was digital first. And that means a lot of things, but basically that people primarily have their relationships with this hobby online. Of course, there's the real world component. There has to be. That's how you wear the watch. But, you know, that it is a a, a primarily Internet slash digital whatever, um, you know, industry. Uh, now, when you went to have meetings with brands, you know, you would you would set up a meeting with them. They weren't quite sure, sure who you were or what it is you wanted to say, but you'd go in there, you'd have a pitch. Talk a little bit about some of those meetings and specifically discuss, and again, this is for the audience listening, what was their perception of quote-unquote digital and what were some of the issues they, they had with it? Why did they feel that the internet and the traditional watch industry uh, weren't by default buddies? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, on a quick point you touched on, you're you're completely right. I mean, if you look at this generation we live in, the first store they're going to visit is is your digital storefront before they even walk into your store, right? So yep, yep. how you come up there and your perception is so key. And most of it's all in your fingertips. I mean, what? I remember back at uh, my last company, 70 plus percent of our traffic was, was mobile. It wasn't even desktop. And I'm sure it's grown even more uh, further than that now. So how do you really cater to that community, build that awareness, and more so importantly, build that emotional connection, not that transactional connection. And so when we sat down with many of these brands, I mean, as you as you pretty much know, every group is different, right? Every, everyone has a different culture. They have different strategies and initiatives that they're after. 
there were some that are very open to to testing, right? Testing with some of their brands on, hey, could we uh, partner up with digital and and sh- somehow share the data to understand our digital customer better and uh, allow us to distribute our products, uh, pre-owned products or as pre-owned to reach that next generation of consumer, build the content and awareness to millions of eyeballs that, hey, I'm when they're not necessarily getting with traditional marketing that, that they've done historically. But there's also many groups that are afraid of what digital can do to them if they don't have control of both their brand equity and pricing, right? And as you know, there's this whole gray market that's been created and, you know, gray market's been created for from several um, different causes, but the gray market is leaking uh, brand new watches to be sold for, uh, of major brands for deep discounts online. And the brands are just not happy about that, right? So they're trying to find ways to combat that so they could control their brand perception, their brand equity. And, you know, we've we had a lot of conversations around that. And that's something that a, a single digital player cannot solve or a large digital player can solve. Somehow, sometimes it's a combination of partnership of where the brand needs to start controlling where their inventory is being sold through both their retailer as well as how they distribute and move overstock that they have and not start not dump products into the market when many of them have done so in the past and allow that to move in a clean way, whether that be through your control sources offline as well as digital sources so you start gaining that consumer data and consumer confidence and know who you're selling to, you know your pricing, and you're able to control that perception. Uh, I mean, as you know, at True Facet, we were one of the first ones to launch 38 brands officially on that platform. And, you know, looking forward to now at eBay, uh, taking a lot of that to the next level, given the large scale we have at eBay. Yeah, so you said a lot of information there, and thank you. I think there's some wonderful context there. I fear the that conversations with the, the conversations with the brands, as you know, Ariel, and you've had way more than I have. <laughs> a lot of information, a lot of different conversations to be gained, right? What, what, I, what I want to point out is something about their culture that I've always found is sort of initial hindrance to getting things done. And, you know, you have these conversations, um, their mentality, and again, correct me if you've had different experience, but their mentality is, okay, I'm listening to you now. What can you bring to the table? Almost as though it's a privilege to even be talking to me. Do you have some type of exciting offer for me? Because if you don't, I'll walk away. And the idea is that they fundamentally don't really seem to want to do a lot of work. It's sort of like, how can you bring us value with having us do the absolute least? Which, as you know, if you don't have a digital framework and architecture and platform on your own end, meaning as a brand, it's sort of like, guys, if you don't get digital now, you're going to have to do it eventually. It does take work. Does, does that sort of relate a little bit to what your conversations were, with them were like, or was it different? It was mixed, right? I mean, there's a lot of brands, to be honest, like we, we partnered up with, did a lot of work. Like they, they, they partnered up, they were, their eyes were open, and they wanted to learn, right? They wanted to learn. Their European offices wanted to learn. And then, yeah, there's total other brands that were pushing back and um, they thought it could be just an automatic on switch. And it's not. And you know this, it's it's tougher than even probably managing uh, your uh, several offline storefronts. Right? Oh, yeah. What oh, yeah. your online thing is, it's, it's, it's the place that's going to get more foot traffic, or I call it eye traffic, than you will in the store. And so as a result, every little click on your site matters. Every view on your site matters to how you start showing up. And that takes 
managing and building the right content, customer service, operations and logistics, how you deliver, how you provide telephone customer service, all those little things add up. And the online world and that shopper is also, I would, I would say, a lot more demanding in terms of fast delivery, uh, wanting great customer service, because there's been really large e-commerce companies out there that kind of kind of set the standard of quality service. And now everyone is expected to follow. And yes, it takes a lot of work. I think with the brands and the large number of them, including the major groups, even to this date, are still learning and trying to figure out how to do digital and how to reach the next generation of consumers. But also, <laughs> more importantly, honestly, innovate, right? Like, like digital is like nothing different anymore. I mean, you can build an e-commerce site in a month, a really nice one if you really want, or even over a weekend. But it's more than that, right? How do you really keep it activated? How do you innovate? How do you provide right sets of services? I mean, you see organizations like have AR services where you can now hover over your wrist with your phone and see the watch on your wrist, right? And I've seen certain brands finally start doing things like that. But as you start launching those things, other digital first companies are like already building the next best thing. I got to bring out some context here because these are such important points. But again, I always think about the listener and you and I live and breathe this every single day. But you know, this is this is industry insidery, insidery stuff. I want to just explain the context to people and why why conversations like what Tirath and I are having right now are even really relevant. And the idea is essentially this: first of all, the watch industry is by no means complete in their transition to digital. It is still a rough and rocky transitional period right now that we are very much in the middle of. And the greater context is that. Prior to the internet, there was a more or less well-defined and understood way of getting your watch to a consumer. You had a show in Switzerland. People who owned stores or people that represented multiple stores would show up and say, okay, show me your new luxury products. And you'd have a couple of days to chat with them. And then they'd make orders, which would later then be sent to those stores to be sold to end consumers. So this was a wholesale market. It had been that way for literally hundreds of years. In fact, the only people that watch brands ever really sold directly to were like VIP clients, which originally were like kings and aristocracy and very wealthy merchants and you know, the, in the 17th and 18th centuries. Um, and then as the internet sort of approached, the world of retail and wholesale just got completely thrown upside down. And all of a sudden, Retail stores, like brick-and-mortar retail stores, were not the only way to reach clients and cu customers. The internet, which was really just sort of an evolution of the mail-order concept where you were sending information directly um, to, to consumers, all of a sudden became this place where people were doing a lot of business. And without sort of official channels to sell watches online, these black markets or gray markets that Tirath said formed um, to sell watches. And, and, and that's exactly what the, the internet was for a long time. You had this um, huge amount of fake watches being sold and they were clearly fake, but it was just like the marketplace for fake watches at one point was like staggeringly big. And you'd search you know, for watch brands on, on Google and what would come up were like replica watch websites. I mean, it was, it was really, really bad for a while. And then you had gray market, which was essentially funneling watches that were supposed to go into wholesale directly to consumers at discounts because the internet allowed for that type of directness. So the watch industry was like, oh my God, what the hell do we do? This sort of like understood way of selling in the past with wholesale is now 
crumbling away and there's a sort of new reality coming in. And now in 2021, there's still at various degrees and various stages, depending on the brand, but they're still transitioning from this old way to this new way. And there's not one brand, in my opinion, that has really figured it out yet. Any thoughts? Yeah, no, that's a really good call out. You're right. And look, most of the boom here has started over a decade ago, right? With uh, a huge uptake over the last, what, three to four years. And anyone now can go search for some of their favorite brands and models and see online and compare and go to that retailer and be like, well, why is that being sold for 20, 25, 30% off cheaper on so-and-so site, right? And I think what that's done is it's 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 hurt the brand equity of what the brands are producing. And uh, it's kind of sad because I think the brands are producing amazing, beautiful art, craftsmanship, yeah. and has yeah. great stories. I think it's a great opportunity. I mean, they, we want them to kind of take control of that end user customer experience. And even through their authorized retailer network, right? Brands, as you know, Ariel, send people out to train uh, the, the the sales rep in the store so they're well-versed or have special events or uh, shows to to clients of the retail store and support that store. But as you know, the one of the things I think they never realized, and this is over the last decade, is a lot of the brands always chased uh, China a lot. And they kept chasing China because it had a big boom of buyers, but a really huge opportunity has been, or I say one of the largest emerging markets has been digital, uh, reaching the digital consumer in the American market, right? Oh, and yeah. I think they've, they've forgotten that because every time, and then they pull away from China, you pull, go back to China and you just lose focus on like, what are you going to build that's core for the long-term plan? Actually, there are some brands, if, if, if you want to talk about brands that I think have done a great job pivoting or adjusting your business model over the last three to five years, uh, one of which is Audemars Piguet. I think AP has done a phenomenal job uh, of uh, of starting to, and sad to say that they've had some significant, amazing retail store partners that they have no longer. They've cut them, right? And what they're doing now is taking control of, of their end consumer and their entire supply chain and so they're selling direct to the end consumer. And when we saw that over the last several years with, with the amount of stores that they've reduced uh, their store partnerships, uh, Richard Meal, as you know, they have their own storefronts, right? They're never going to distribute and they're not distributing to any other uh, retailer unless it's under their f- full control. So it is interesting to see how brands such as those two, uh, especially Honoris Piguet, is starting to take control of that whole end-to-end customer journey. And it'll be interesting to see us as the next year or so goes on, how they start doing that when it comes to digital and including the mobile app experience. So let me let me, let me back up here because you brought up a lot of interesting points. And you mentioned Audemars Piguet and Richard Meal as companies that now have pretty well-established direct-to-consumer models. And what, what Tirath means by that, I'm just going to give a little bit more context, is that these are brands that still have a couple of third-party retailers, but for the most part, sell watches through their own stores that have their own names on it that they mostly own but don't always own directly to consumers. And this is bypassing uh, the th- sort of third-party network of, of sort of you know mom-and-pop shops or just multi-brand stores, as they're called. Now, I- I'd love to have a little sort of debate with you on this topic because I think it's actually interesting to discuss you know, the, ups, the pros and cons of this. But tell me a little bit more about why, why you admire this and why you feel these, this is a smart move for these brands. I mean, it's it's hard to say admire it and not admire it. I, I, I do think like 
the, the brands did need to take control. It goes back to our previous conversation, right? So the context again being that, hey, there's this great market that got created because the brands kind of lost control of, of their distribution, right? Meaning after the watch left their factory to wherever they sold it or whichever wholesaler distributor, it's like, okay, I have no more control of it. And I think the brands who felt that their prices have been going down because the gray market's been starting to take over and they're, they're like, we need to take control of this because we need to control that brand equity and to primarily combat that gray market. I think it was a very smart move. I mean, Otto Figuet, uh, years ago, I, I was able to find many at interesting discounts. And currently, you're not able to. And instead, you may find many of the Royal Oak models at actually appreciated prices and a way above retail than you will at any discounts anymore, right? And so right. I, I do appreciate how they're taking control of that customer experience and ensuring that the customer's getting what they want, because especially you as a buyer, right? If any of you listeners are your buyer, you want to buy a watch from a store. You don't want to walk out that store and be like, I just lost 30, 40% when you look at that watch two years ago. You want to feel like you bought something of value and that it's holding its value and story over time. And I think by the brands getting involved a lot more in that distribution and controlling it is actually going to help the end consumer. Now, it's a balance, right? Because we're talking about two brands here, Honoris Piguet and Richard Mille, that don't make millions of watches a year or hundreds of thousands of watches a year. Right? And then you have brands like Rolex and others who make a large quantity of watches, but they've done a phenomenal job of controlling their retailer and ensuring that they're well-managed. Right? And I do think there's a place for that uh, third-party retail store offline, especially the high-quality ones that could deliver strong customer experience and service. And I do think that there's a future here of the same type of players to show up in digital. Right, uh, And I think the brands need to make sure that they have full control of which, what, what's happening to each and every one of their product when it's at such retailer, whether it's online or offline, and understanding where it's going in order to, to really control that customer experience. So let me actually break down a few interesting points here. And again, I'm just trying to extract the, um, the, the important wisdom for people to, to sort of yeah, take away from this. You're really good at extracting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Audemars Piguet, and Richard Mille made this important decision that by set, by selling watches direct to consumer, they could control uh, the pricing, meaning they would have a retail price. And they say, we only want to sell to the retail price. And that's why you talk about brand equity. Brand equity means that people perceive your product as being worth more and thus they're willing to pay more for it. The reason this is an issue is that in the wholesale market, uh, a, a person who buys a watch at whole, wholesale at a retail discount, of course, then legally can go on to sell it at pretty much any price they want. There's a manufacturer's suggested retail price, but that word suggested is very, very important because legally speaking, it's very difficult to control exactly what something is sold at. So the, so the, the, the retail market in a wholesale situation uh, is able to sell watches at retail price, uh, sometimes above retail price, and often below retail price. And when this happens on the internet, with the prices published so conspicuously, this becomes a real problem. It used to be that if I'm in Los Angeles and I go into an Audemars Piguet store and the price for a watch is $20,000, I have wait, no way of knowing that the gentleman in New York City might be willing to sell the exact same watch at $19,000. I'd have to get on a flight and go to that person's store and chat with them about it. So discounting before the internet was not so much of a problem because it was very regionally uh, restricted because you didn't know about it. The internet flattened all that. 
And it meant that anybody anywhere in the world publishing a discounted price automatically set the new low bar for the price globally. They were literally setting the standard. And that's a psychological thing. Um, and that's how it works in economics. But publishing low prices on the internet destroyed a lot of brand equity. And so brands like Audemars Piguet and, and Richard Mille that are high luxury brands said, this is terrible. We, we, we promote ourselves as this high-end brands. We're super luxury, worn by the best and fa most famous and highest performance people in the world. And then you can go and buy our brand new watches at you know some type of discount online, like you know, like like it's some type of bizarre item. These two things don't go go, go together. So what the brands had to do is sell direct. They had to cut out the middleman and say, the only way we can prevent discounting is by making sure that we control the price on each and every sale. And that's essentially what they've done. They've created this circle of trust where no one's going to discount unless it's okayed by top management. And, I, and, and that has been great. And what's interesting about that is demand. And this is where I think the internet comes into your and where you're so excited is that with, with retail, it's the retailers that create the demand. You give a nice, healthy margin to a store because the store advertises and forms great relationships with its clients and sells watches to them. And that's why you allow them to have that money. But Audemars Piguet and Richard Mille have invested in internet marketing in different forms, especially with celebrities, which are very popular on the internet. And, and that's how they create demand. So they, they use the internet as the primary demand-creating engine even if those transactions happen online, but they are doing a form of digital marketing that's not replicable for all brands, but a form of digital marketing, which means they're able to be, you know, extremely valuable luxury brands with a digital first marketing initiative, right? I know, I agree. And I think the great thing about what they've done in those ads is they don't feel like ads, right? They don't feel like shop now, buy now buttons all over the place. What it feels like is uh, like, you have Rafael Nadal, right, with what he's done with the Richard Mille, and you just feel like you're entrapped in this great tennis experience, and you want to wear that watch and feel like him, right? And same thing with AP. It's like dreaming a dream, and I think that's exciting. And the other thing I think those brands and many brands have done a good job at, and, and what we've spoken about so far, Ariel, is brand new watches. But because of some of their activities, they've created a very healthy pre-owned market, a secondhand market that's just starting to boom out there, which I feel it's growing faster than the prime, the new market. And I do think pre-owned is, is the future of this industry where you as a consumer may have a great Rolex and you just want to get an Audemars Piguet and now you can trade and trade up and, and uh, go get that Audemars Piguet. Right, here's a real economics question for you. And again, I don't know that we'll have an answer, but this is a real question. In this context, I think it's super important. Now, I hope you'll agree that you need to sell more new watches into the market than pre-owned watches. Meaning if you're selling more pre-owned watches in the market each year than new ones, I, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that's not sustainable. For it to be sustainable, I think you need to sell more new watches. But the question is, what's the balance? Is it 50% new watches and 50% pre-owned is okay? Does it have to be 80% new? Uh, what, you know, what would that ratio be between new watch sales versus used watch sales that you think the, the 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 industry should aim for. I, I know there's no math behind this. I'm just asking, like, what's your gut instinct? Gut instinct there. This would just be me throwing guesstimates out there. But like, to another point on that is, if you think about it, I totally agree with you, Ariel. You have to keep selling new watches and new watches at quantity out there, right? If Rolex makes whatever 800,000 Rolexes a year, let's say, they're gonna move all that quantity. But eventually, all of that's gonna come back in the future and pre-owned, right? Because there's 
millions and tens of millions of watches that have been sold over the last decade that are out there that are being resold both online and offline. And now a lot of it online because it's an easier place to go find a pre-owned customer than, than just the offline market. So you, I always think like the quantity of inventory over time that's available is going to end up becoming more in the pre-owned side than the new side. So let's go look at if you want to buy a brand new Rolex Samarina right now. Is it the easiest watch to get? No, but can no. you potentially get in pre-owned? Yeah. You can go on eBay and you'll find many of them as an example, right? Which is so exactly you- what you should all do. If you want to if you go to eBay first. Honestly, I do it. I've been using eBay probably every day for more than 20 years now. Um, it's so hard for me to not go to eBay first before I buy almost anything. And for a watch, again, there's there's absolutely no argument. Okay, I'm done plugging yeah. eBay. Go ahead. I know, it's already, we have a million plus watches. <laughs> but it is great, right? Because you can see the quantity of inventory available outside. And how many retail stores would it have taken you to go find a Submariner or brand new? A lot. And you may still not have found it. And even if they had it, they may have had it in their back room because they're waiting to sell it to a VIP, right? And so, exactly. Matt, I mean, the pre-owned market is the next generation. I think especially the younger generation is understanding it's like, it's like driving a brand new BMW off the lot. When you drive a brand new car off the lot, you're losing what, 30, 40% instant value? You walk out of a store with a brand new watch, same thing happens. We're, we're, I think we're going into a culture of sustainability and like things that are like like the, re, um, the new generation of e-commerce where things are getting recycled in the market. And as a result, you're not losing that much value on your purchases, right? You may get a pre-owned Submariner in a year from now, you may actually be able to resell it for more money or maybe just lose a couple hundred dollars, but you're not losing much money, right? As an example. Okay, I, I got to be the devil's advocate here, though, because when it comes down to resale value, isn't that a dangerous, slippery slope? I mean, most consumer goods would not be purchased if people really actually cared about the resale I value. Mean, you know I, what I mean? I don't buy any, yeah, I don't buy anything at, for the purpose of resale value. We're just conversating about values, but I would say um, I think the next generation buys stuff because it, it fits a story. Like the, the reason I had that Omega Spectre that you know so well about Ariel and you see me where it is because it's my yeah. favorite watch and it's a story. It has nothing. I don't care if the value tanks by 50% or increases by 2x. For me, it's all about that story and that watch just resonates with me. And I think that's the reason a lot more consumers, especially that younger generation, is are buying watches. And it's not about this like the best of the best movements because you know what they may not even know about that or care about that it's more around like well what stories in the watch actually resonate with me well, uh, and I, I think going back to the conversation digital does a really good job of consistently delivering that story it does it does and you can reach people in a way where you can have a conversation with them because if you go to a store you have one instance of reaching someone but online you know like on a blog to watch people come back oftentimes several times a week if they see a different message from a brand every single time, not only are they thinking of the brand, but the brand is actually able to have a conversation with them. And that's what's sort of interesting about you know my platform is we develop real relationships with the community, whereas in a retail environment, I mean, how often does a customer come back to the store every week? It's maybe every couple of months, if not every couple of years, right? Yeah, maybe to get uh, something serviced, right? Yeah, that's, basic, that's basically it. And, and that's the thing. I yeah, mean, I retailers... Guess. They they, have, well, they they used to have that whole celebration because it was so valuable for a customer to come back, like to get a watch service or have a new battery. They'd have this whole strategy on how to funnel them into a new purchase or something like that. Like having that touch point with the consumer meant so much that they wanted to make the absolute most out of it. I agree with you. Totally agree. And I mean, I think it's also... Uh, 
but online is a great way of constantly just staying in touch and 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 also like getting uh, the information that you want, right? So like getting into a car, walking to a store, and like coming back. I mean, what, you're going to spend an hour, hour and a half, two hours of of your time just doing that round trip, or with online, if you especially with if if you if you have curated content for yourself, you're able to then leverage and see stuff that you like, whether it's shopping or whether it's great content. Like right? for example, on eBay. I mean, you're you're getting curated uh, uh, pieces, everything from our watches uh, channels where we have curated content as to all the way to the, the the amount of pieces and Rolexes that you can find on eBay. Uh, and I think with also having launch authenticity guarantee recently, that that we're starting to take that to the next level as well. And how how do we start catering to that customer more in that content driven way versus just transactional driven way? Have you visited the gift store for watch lovers? It's called the Blog to Watch store, and we carry art, apparel, and accessories for today's timepiece enthusiasts. Buy your wristwatches elsewhere and celebrate the watch collecting hobby with high quality original products at the Blog to Watch store. Right now, the Blog to Watch store features a line of t-shirts inspired by iconic timepieces and designed by the collecting experts at the Blog to Watch. Made from 100% premium cotton, our soft fitted t-shirts are stylish, fun, and models like our iconic diver dial even have a glow in the dark face. The Blog to Watch store carries bespoke yet affordable products, which the Blog to Watch editorial team wanted for themselves as the first customers. Visit the website to see what is available right now and we ship internationally with new products coming all the time. Check it out by logging on to store.ablogtowatch.com. That's store.ablogtowatch.com. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about eBay because I have so much to say about it. Now, the first thing I want to say about eBay, and this is by no means limited to eBay, but I see eBay as a tool. And eBay is a tool. And I think what's interesting is you don't see a store as a tool. It's not like Sears is a tool to go get things you need. It's a store. eBay is is a tool. And eBay has evolved a lot. We'll talk about some of the ways that eBay has evolved. But eBay has been a way of facilitating auctions and other transactions uh, between two people that want to transact. So that re-commerce is very much manifest, manifested, in, in, manifested in, in how eBay was developed and started. And I think the eBay store is just what a beautiful story it is. But I started using eBay very, very heavily in the early 2000s. And eBay was really one of the main ways I started getting into watches because I had I had this these watch magazines around me and then the eBay search bar. And I would just literally be like, I wonder if this watch or that watch was on eBay. And one of the most amazing things about doing this is it wasn't just about being able to buy it, but people would upload pictures and they would have a description. And I actually used eBay as a tool, not just to search for watches that were for sale, but also by default to learn about watches. So I wouldn't be nearly who I am today in terms of my knowledge of watches. It wasn't for those countless hours I spend sort of, you know, at using the eBay tool, uh, as I call it. And so eBay has had such an important part of me developing as a watch consumer, bought a lot of, you know, watches on eBay. But is that is that a way that eBay is discussed internally as e at eBay? Is it is discussed as a tool that consumers need to get to know and, and be trained on using? Yeah, no, you brought up a good point. Like, and one one of the things I want to stress is that this is new eBay now, right? There, there's uh, I think eBay of the last 20, 25 years has changed as of a year ago, uh, and that's primarily because we we've, we've launched a focused approach in watches. I mean, we have twenty five plus team members, whether it's a cross functional team in marketing or day to day uh, um, managing watches. 
that all they think about is watches and how to keep improving that experience. And that, you know, that wasn't there before at eBay. Right. And as you noted earlier, eBay's the original place, like from the late nineties to the two thousands, eBay has been a place where people will go list stuff and find things. But as over time, um, marketplaces needed to be, especially with high uh, average order value type pieces like watches needs to be managed more to really build that customer trust and experience. And as a result, we decided to form a team to launch something we call Authenticity Guarantee, where now, as of late last year, every luxury watch above $2,000 or more is sent to a third-party expert authenticator um, that, that checks for things like the movements, the bezel, the crown, and so on to ensure that the watch is authentic and also that you are getting what you actually saw in the listing. If it said it had the original box and papers, great, it should have that. And so as a buyer, you're fully protected, and then you get this watch we're also sending it to you now with like this NFC card where you're able to like now um, scan it and actually see your authenticated uh, certificate digitally online, which is pretty cool. And so that, that's something eBay's never done before, right? Get in the middle and touch real products. I got it. I got it. This, by the way, everyone, if you if you haven't been on eBay in a while or you haven't really looked, I really recommend what Tirath is talking about. Look into the authenticity guarantee. Look at some of the other tools they've, they've invested in because it's, it's truly amazing. Right. But I have to ask this question. It appears to me that from the outside, eBay was already extraordinarily popular with watches. They have had some you know, real watchers internally. And now they have more watch lovers internally, which I think it's great to know that this supposed niche hobby of watches has its own team at eBay, like Amazon also has its own watches team. I mean, I think that's cool. But if eBay had such a high amount of transactions for watches and market share overall, what were some of the reasons to invest as heavily as they did? Because bringing you aboard and a lot of these investments, like it's it's incredible spending. I'm proud of it. I love it. But I know that today, obviously, you know, people like to justify the spending. What's the bigger picture reason that eBay wanted to go from being the top to even, you know, better? No, and you, you absolutely look, eBay's always been great in watches. We just wanted to get better in watches, right? And for the customer experience. Like, first of all, through all of our surveys and understanding our customers, uh, before a year ago, we actually understood that there were a lot of people that were questioning, like, am I really going to get what I see in the listing? Are you sure that's real? If that's not real, can I trust this seller? Like, if you're a consumer seller right now and you have no reviews on eBay and you want to go list your Rolexes, it's not going to be easy for you to sell, right? Because people want to... $8,000, $10,000 watches, people care about the reviews and making sure that they know who they're buying from. But now, if someone's getting in the middle before you ever receive that watch, you're going to trust that a lot more. Whoa, whoa, so that from our customer, right, area, like one of the big things we heard was we needed to improve the customer experience around um, getting people what they what they uh, expected. And authenticity was a huge element of that. Now, on top of that is how can you build more content around the commerce? How could you build a storytelling element? And now you're starting to see that come to life with our new dedicated social handle and the content that we're also starting to push out there and watches, right? Because eBay wasn't doing that previously and we're starting to do that because it's more than just, hey, let's go sell watches. But we want to connect with that watch audience, that watch collector, and and really deliver that customer experience, both for the seller and the buyer. So this is a this is a really big deal that you you brought up, and I think it's important. I mean, I've been transacting on eBay a long time, just buy, basically buying personal stuff. But I have a a star rating and a number of transactions. And when when you go to buy something, especially a, a high ticket item like a, a pre owned watch, you want to know who's selling it to you because you don't want to have a fly by night situation where you're screwed somehow. 
And so what you're saying is, is I think, really important because you're developing. And again, I've never actually heard anyone on eBay say it directly this way, but it makes sense. Um, a way for someone who's a much more casual seller to come on board and use eBay to sell that watch, even if they've never done so before. Because the protections on the platform are so great that even if the buyer or the seller is an unscrupulous individual, the system is so robust that it will protect you. It will. And that's, I mean, yeah. And imagine as a casual seller, like, I'll be honest with you. Um, if I had a $10,000 Rolex and I want to sell it on eBay or anywhere, the first thing I would be worried about is, great. What if I sell this thing, I ship it in. Am I really going to get paid? I'm not going to get a chargeback. And secondly, are they, are, is the buyer, if they do a return, are they going to send me an empty box back? And because of the new authenticity guarantee program that the sellers are fully protected, right? As soon as you send it in our third party checks that you sent in the exact watch you said, after that, you're, you're not going to see a chargeback because we're going to send that onwards to the buyer. The only reason we're going to reject it is because it, it was either a counterfeit or it wasn't as described. But other than that, it goes on to the buyer and you're fully protected, which is, which is exciting for a seller selling expensive items because then you don't have to, you can sleep better at night knowing that you're not going to see a chargeback for an expensive watch or an empty box back, right? So eBay has, in a sense, had to become a little bit like an insurance provider where you're adding a lot of protections. And yes, some of the costs go up a little bit. But what you're essentially doing is you're trying to protect everyone through volume um, and, and instituting you know, additional spending to make sure that those types of things don't happen. If they do happen, that the people are protected. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and both sides are protected, both the buyer and the seller. I mean, look, we also launch other additional services like escrow, right, where you can uh, well, purchase watches above $10,000 or more, wire transfer the money in, and the money's held with a third party. It's only released after you receive it. But both sides are protected because the seller's like, okay, this is actually paid for. Chargebacks are going to be like, are not going to happen. And vice versa, I can ship in a $50,000, $60,000 watch. Because, you know, Ari, a lot of people love transacting with wire transfers when you get to the super high end watches. And when yeah. you add up all these services, that we've launched, including what we're doing and just cleaning up the site, making the user experience better for the buyer and seller. We we saw growth, right? I mean, you, yes, you, you've seen eBay be big in watches, but this first quarter of, of just 2021, we reported 38% year-on-year growth in our sales and luxury watches, which was a really exciting accomplishment, of course. Well, because Sirath, your team has been communicating like crazy. Like you've done what a company with a valuable message has needed to do, which is market. I mean, you, you. I don't know if it was up to you or as a team decision, but eBay has marketed on a blog, watch elsewhere, heavily, thoroughly, a lot of different messages. Like you have manifested the type of marketing that needs to be done over the last year or so. And, and I, I think you deserve more recognition for that. I think it was a really great all-around team effort. And yes, it is a message, but I think it's also a message of a new eBay, right? Not the old eBay. It goes, goes all about many of the new services and protections that we just but spoke you, about. You, you paid to spray, to, to spray the message as far and wide as possible. Most of the companies that are doing this don't mention it. Like uh, uh, some of the watch retailers, for example, if they launch a new initiative, of course, it's not going to compare, but if it's some type of new initiative, they'll send like a press release and that'll be that eBay knows because it's a sophisticated 21st century company that just sending a press release does very, very little. If you want to spread a message, you have to consistently advertise it to the right consumer over a period of time. That's the way to do it. You know, and I guess back to our earlier point of like, if a brand is opening up a digital storefront, 
it takes more than just opening up a store. You got to actively manage it and message it and be out there. Right. And I think you, 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 you made a great point there. And I, I believe that yes, that message is we're repeating it out there, but I do also believe like, um, what we're saying out there, we're, we're setting certain expectations. And what I'm excited about is eBay's delivering on this. And we're seeing that in our customer satisfaction score. Our customer satisfaction scores are growing. And that's the most exciting feeling. And if you think about it, yes, we're investing millions of dollars into marketing, but who are we doing it for? We're doing it for our sellers. eBay has always been a place for the third-party sellers. We do not own this inventory we do not sell our own inventory. We want sellers to build their businesses and their name on eBay. And if you think about it over the last decades, how many businesses have eBay helped create it out there, especially during this pandemic when retail stores were getting low amount of foot traffic, many of them came online and we helped them create their storefronts and saw month on month growth of their sales when all their stores were shut down because of the pandemic. So those, yeah. are, those are good feelings, right? Like when you can actually make impact like that, to 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 um, uh, storefronts' livelihoods and really help them grow. Here's a really important question for you because I think we're talking about the really important subject of, you know, if eBay is filling the role that maybe in the past a storefront did in the digital age, it needs to use a variety of strategies of doing so. And one of those, like you said, is creating content and developing communities and stuff like that. So here's here's where sort of like my interests come in. I've seen the. Uh, the development of sort of the wristwatch enthusiast community be sometimes limited by the brands themselves not understanding how to invest or not willing to invest. I mean, we know that the luxury watch industry um, isn't really a prolific spender of marketing in, in recent years. If you were controlling something like media or a blog to watch, where would you invest to amplify the efforts, right? Because I've always asked myself, if there's a lot more money being thrown at a business like mine, like what would I do about it to make more watch lovers, to connect with them more, uh, to make more content? You know what I mean? Like, how would you how would you inf you fund increased watch media to get more out of what you're looking for for something like eBay? Oh, that's a good question. Look, there's so many ways to fund it. Here's one way I won't fund it because I think a lot of us are already tired about it is no 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 more virtual virtual Zoom events. <laughs> I don't think we can do it anymore, right? Went on way too many Zoom Zoom events during this pandemic. I think we're all getting zoomed out. But look, I think there's many ways, Ariel. Right? I, I think uh, how could you create like just like great stories, right? That like I, I I love video content, like engaging interactive video content. I think it's a great opportunity to invest that and then use the right uh, distribution systems that are best for your brand, right? To reach your customers, whether it be certain mobile channels or certain partnerships or whether it be online or whether it's, and it could be a combination of an offline event that uh, is streamed online and distributed online. And I think we're getting into a new generation of, hey, um, people need quick video content, not, that no one's gonna sit around looking at 10, 15, 20 minutes of it because we're living in a world where people are consuming content fast and you have to be very punchy. So that's 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 the way I, I see it going. That's my own personal perspective on it. But Ariel, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on this uh, since you run a block to watch. I mean, I think that the, this is the way I sort of look at it. And I've always said that the watch industry needs a trinity of actors, maybe more, but at least a trinity of actors to function properly in today's world. And on one hand, you have the watch manufacturer and the watch makes the thing that people want. They need to make sure that they constantly um, push the envelope in terms of creativity, add new features to make them exciting. Um, watch brands, their job is to make the desirable product. Then you have 
watch retail and watch retail. Um, those are the sellers. Uh, they are the, the storefront, so to say, physical, digital, whatever. But it's their job to take those goods and sell to people because it's often awkward for companies to sell the items that they make. They tend to not always understand how to do it. When you're so emotion emotionally attached to your own product, it's just harder to sell it. But so the retailers need to exist. And then there's what I call the community. And Watch Media essentially is the community, community's curator. It reaches the community. It finds new people. It makes being into watches a thing. Because in today's world, unlike something like cars, you don't grow up with people in the world needing these objects. You might see people wearing watches all the time, and that's awesome. But at the end of the day, no one's ever saying to you, hey, Tiroth, here's why you need to wear a watch. So you need a, a, a watch lover community of passionate people who advocate for the hobby and who spread its good word for watches to even be a thing. So watch media is essentially the engine which creates the demand, the buyers, um, you know, and, and the sort of discussion around watches. In the car enthusiast community, I think it's so important. You have, and you've had this, you know, since, you know, as, as far as there's been, you know, a, a commercial auto industry, but communities, clubs, um, you know, aftermarket people, magazines, shows, radio shows, things like that about cars. The, the car industry relies on that larger conversation about car enthusiasm to sell pretty much every enthusiast car. And it's the exact same thing in the watch space, only more important because there isn't sort of like the, 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 a, a bottom market of watches. Now with smartwatches, there are again, but watches sort of, again, I think you'll agree, they need to have um, a, a demand created. So the community, the more the community does, the more it creates new consumers and demand. Agree with you on the community aspect, especially if you think about like if you're not 25 year old and you first and you got your some of your first paychecks and build enough to go buy your first expensive Swiss watch, like you need that community, right? And I think a lot of the community it has to be online and it has to be offline. I think it's a combination of a community of friends and some of the offline meetups as well as online communities. And 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 how do you do the combination of that? Totally agree. It's interesting you brought up smartwatches because I'm a big believer of. It's doing good for the industry because it's actually putting some something on someone's wrist when they never potentially had something on their wrist in their first place. But as they grow, they might want something different and not the same smartwatch everyone else has, right? So Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I love my Apple Watch. I think it's a fantastic product. But if I want someone to know something about who I am, my taste, my my lifestyle, my activity level. I have to wear something other than, than a smartwatch because it simply doesn't convey anything about me. It's like holding a phone. All it says is that person likes to communicate. It doesn't tell you anything beyond that. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I have both. I, I do like my smartwatch to see how many calories I'm burning sometimes in a day, but other than that, yeah, I, I, I need the other one because it, it's, it's kind of like an extension of your personality. So totally agree. So, what about you as a watch person? Because you developed um, really your appreciation for timepieces while working in this industry. How did you, what were your perceptions about watches when they when it started? When did you have your moment of I love watches? And what is your sort of like status as a watch collector now? And like, like to be straightforward and honest, I think this is Ariel. This is, this is exactly how that next younger generation is thinking. Like, I was a jewelry person. Like I love men's bracelets and like cool uh, jewelry before my last company, a true facet. That's when I actually created more of the appreciation of watches. Right. And it took up probably like two years into true facet to really create that true appreciation. But, you know, being at the shows, meeting with brands, talking about watches and, and talking about them in like 
knowing like why the watch is made that the way it's made in the first place, right? And even before the movements, like these, like all the brands and certain models has awesome stories behind them. You know, and Breitling, what we're doing with uh, Air Force and like air, air trial and like every single one had this cool stories and you have to figure out what resonated with you. And that's what got me into the watches. And I think when I, uh, the friends I hung out with, when we talked about them, they didn't talk about the movements and all that. We, we talked about the cool look and feel, the style, how it actually fits like stuff that we wear and love to do. And then why it's such a cool, unique watch. And for me personally, it became more of that vintage um, look and feel. And that's the reason I bought the Spectre watch. It was a remake of like some 1950s Seamaster. Uh, and that's the reason I'm looking for a vintage Rolex right now because I love some of the, how the older 1970s Rolex look. It's also looking for one for my birth year. Uh, and uh, and so certain um, models that have stories to them. And I think that's where I built my appreciation for watches. And even to this date, when I look to purchase new watches, I'm really looking at, I'm, I'm searching for stories more than the watch itself. And for me, it's not about the brand or the model. It's around how, how the story really connects. Now, when you were at TrueFacet, you must have had a lot of fringe benefits when it comes to first dibs on purchases and you saw a lot of inventory and stuff like that. eBay is a little bit different because eBay is a facilitator, you know, doesn't really handle a lot of stuff. But I'm just curious, like, what are some of the cool fringe benefits of like working at eBay, especially when it comes to watches? Yeah, we don't have that much fringe benefit. We, we had a rule that we had to create a true facet or else all the employees would have been buying up stuff. <laughs> so, uh, no, all the watches have to go online first. No, it's the thing at eBay, like, I think what I love about eBay is speaking to our sellers, like speaking to the watch sellers, being out there. I was at the IWJG watch event a month and a half ago in Miami where almost 80 watch uh, uh, businesses were getting together and it's just and many of them a large assortment of them are selling on ebay and just understanding them learning about what's going on in the industry what are the cool watches they're seeing seeing some of the watches they acquire you must have been like a star there uh a star it was it was just great to hear seller feedback and just get get like see what yeah but these these better. most of these people rely on ebay so to have someone from ebay there to sort of yeah, recognize hey you know them, they must have loved that I don't call it a fringe benefit. I call it a benefit of being able to speak with a large variety of sellers and different business partners to really understand what's going on in the industry and how we can keep improving the experience for them. I think that's the fun part yeah. about being at eBay. I mean, and then this includes the same thing in the other categories of managing around luxury, right? And I think that's that's a great benefit. And I think the team is awesome at eBay. I think we have a very passionate team and and great folks to work with, and everyone is, is after the same vision here, which is which is really awesome to see. So let's talk a little bit about you know some of the sort of evolution. You you, you mentioned the new eBay, um, you know that sounds exciting. But what is different about the new eBay, new eBay from the old eBay, and and what do you want? You know, who are the competitors in the space that you're looking at when it comes to watch transactions? I think that's been always interesting for me because I've seen eBay be its sort of own thing that doesn't really have competition. You're growing into more areas right now. Like, where are you setting your sites? Like, what do you want eBay to be in, in the next couple of years? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I mean, we, we look at one thing, right? And it, it's really, what's the next set of customer ex experiences and things we have to build to keep delivering that better and keep innovating for them and staying ahead of the curve for them, right? That's the biggest thing. I think if we do a good job there, uh, we're going to increase our customer satisfaction score and sales will take care of itself. But it's really about building for that customer. And so what I see eBay being is like, a, I see them being that uh, destination, that first place a person should think of 
when you are either looking to buy or sell or trade in a watch in the future and being able to do it all in one place and us becoming your guide, your, 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 your trusted guide. I mean, we have a dedicated customer service team now in watches and we look forward to keep growing that in the future, right? And we want to become that thought leader, that guide for you and that trusted destination. Whether you buy from us or not, at least I think I believe we want to, I want eBay to be the starting place. And I absolutely believe eBay will be the place that you also finish your purchase. So. Now, you mentioned the value of in-person events. And you had this thing here in LA um, that was amazing. It was, the, it was called the Valuation Station, where you, yeah. you set up this. It was really cool. And you went there and it was, again, it was a marketing thing, but I think people want to last longer. You drive up. Uh, it was for like it was for shoes and it was watches and maybe like was it trading cars or something like that, and they would they could buy stuff off you off the spot or just give you a valuation and um, it made me realize that you know some type of intersection between eBay and Antiques Roadshow like that makes sense especially in a post pandemic world where people are like I want to get together and also facilitate a re commerce industry so like yeah, any I thoughts on that I think you ended up visiting that one too yeah it was called authentication. Yeah. We just did another version of that not too long ago called Authentication Nation, where we had an authentication truck going around, driving around the country. We started in Atlanta <laughs> with, uh, with, I'll tell you, with Trey Young, who's currently in the finals, in the East Coast, in the NBA finals. And he's a huge watch lover, started with G-Shocks, and now he has an expensive collection. Great video we have on eBay. You guys should go check it out. But, you know, cool. he showed up. And, uh, and I think that was all about showing a new eBay, right? It goes back to the other point, like eBay showing up as a different eBay now. Why? Because the operational processes that we have to deliver a new set of services and experiences are different. And all we're trying to do now is educate the customer who has been trained on the old eBay to a new eBay. And authentication station, yeah, we had trading cards there. We had sneakers. Uh, we had watches. And the most recent one in authentication nation, we even had handbags since we launched that as an authenticity care category a month ago. So it is exciting to see, and we're going to have a lot more exciting events coming up. So everyone should definitely stay stay in touch with us on that one. Doesn't it make sense, though, for eBay to have more permanent spaces? Like I see in L.A. especially, and of course in the Bay Area, like a permanent multi-purpose eBay event space that could be turned into a watch event, that could be turned into a shoes event. Like I just see the integration between the platform and real-world get-togethers being potentially interesting. And again, I know I'm, I'm, this is just one person's opinions and things like that, but you've tested it. You've been to the events. You see that the passion that can happen in person. Could eBay ever do that? Is that a realistic thing that could, could happen I more? Mean, well, there's a lot of stuff we can do, right? And I think well, there's some exciting stuff coming up. I think you got uh, definitely stay in tune in what we have coming up in the summer. Uh, I think it's going to be fun to see what eBay does out there. But don't worry, you make a good point. Like, how else could we deliver and bring the customer experiences of eBay, both offline and online? And that's something we continuously are are thinking about, including other categories, right? How how do we expand what we've done in watches, handbags into other categories? So a lot, a lot more exciting things to come. Okay, wonderful. Uh, listen, this has been such an interesting conversation, Tiroth. We talked about. Uh, there's so much more we could have gotten into. I mean, there's so many stories I have with eBay, but I just think it's really important for people to not only get to know you as you know this this driver of a lot of energy and a lot of positive change at eBay, but also what eBay has become. Because you know people may not think about it as e about eBay as much as I do, as much as you do, and it's such an important part of watch commerce online. Like it is, it's 
in a sense, almost as important as Rolex, because like without eBay on the on the Internet, I don't really know how much of a watch commerce um, there'd be a lot, but it'd be a really big dent, right? Like it'd be really a big, a big thing to, to have eBay not there. So it's it's such a big player in this. And to know that eBay takes watches seriously, has people like Tier out there that are thinking about it, that understand the consumer, that understand the person that sells it. That's a really big deal because people want to know when they're buying or selling a watch that the the store, so to say, or the the marketplace understands their particular needs and and has those in mind and has those protections built in, which is very much the case at eBay. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Superlative. Well, thank you, Ariel, for having me. And um, I'm excited to speak with everyone. Stay in touch with us. on We have an eBay Watches social handle, so a lot of news keeps coming out there as well. So stay in touch. And uh, thank you, Ariel, for having me. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? <laughs> 